Well, good morning, folks. Um, I can honestly say, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, <laughs> because I think the last time I spoke was in July. And I've just sat in awe and wonder listening to all these great preachers we've had in-house. We've only had one from outside. And uh, it's been uh, just wonderful to, to see and hear the stories and the insights. And it's really fed me. The last couple of weeks, Fliss and I have been, we've just been in France for a week and uh, had the privilege of speaking at a, a, a little kind of, I guess it's, you'd call it a church or a fellowship that the author, Christian author Michelle Guinness and her husband leaves. That was great fun. And the pr- week prior to that, we were in Stevenage and we were laying on hands on the new pastors there. So we've, we've not been doing absolutely nothing, but it's been really good. And it, it, is, it is with great excitement and a little bit of nervousness that I restake, I, I retake the stage. So anyway, we will see. Talking of traveling, in 2000, Flissy and I went on a sabbatical and we went to a number of conferences, visited a number of churches, but on our way back, it was Fliss who really wanted to visit Chicago and attend the Global Leadership Summit at the Willow Creek Church. We'd heard about it many, many times. Uh, and uh, had always said it would be fun, it would be interesting, it would be good to go. But Fliss really wanted to go to this. It was right at the end of the sabbatical, and I was all for coming home at that stage. You know, we'd had a lot of input, and I was just looking forward to getting home in my own bed and all those kind of things, you know. But uh, we went to Willow Creek, and uh, maybe I wasn't in quite the best sort of position to receive, because I did just want to go home. But we sat there, and uh, from the word go, uh, we felt that God was on the case. Rather like Debbie was saying, it felt like more than just a coincidence. It felt like God was wanting to say something to us. And this Global Leadership Summit was, as it said on the box, it was global in that it was happening in a number of places around the world. But it was also about leadership. And the incredible thing is that I personally believe the church has been very bad in teaching leadership. You know, if you read Romans 12, it says lead diligently. You know, if you have the gift of leadership, lead diligently. And yet when I went through my theological training, I didn't have one session on biblical leadership. Not one. Would you believe it? Uh, And uh, when I went through my post-ordination training, we spent a great deal of time talking about pastoral issues, and that's great. That needs to happen too. But we didn't spend any time talking about leadership. So I came right through that system, and I was just as uh, awkward a leader then as I was when I began. So Fliss and I just, uh, you know, we just soaked this up. It was just like being drenched under a shower. And we said at that point, if ever, if ever they decide to do this in the UK, we want to be part of it. And a couple of years later, that promise, that statement came true when we heard that they were going to do a sort of a video cast experiment over here. And we were able to host the first of our global leadership summits here in St. Albans. Well, it's coming round again in about three weeks' time on the 13th and the 14th of October. We're going to be hosting the global leadership summit. Now, now it has exploded. Over 400,000 leaders worldwide in extraordinary out-of-the-way places as well as megacities are going to be participating. And if you think, you know, uh, every leader represents some others. Now, I I could ask you to put your hand up and say, are you a leader? And you think, yeah, I'm a leader because I'm on the leadership group. But the truth is, when you begin to think about leadership, 
Leadership is influence. John Maxwell, one of the great gurus of leadership, lovely Christian man, he defines leadership as influence. And we're picking that theme up this time, this year. And so if you are a, you know, if you, if you are a homemaker, uh, if you are uh, a, a, a somebody, uh, you know, a, a college, you know, wherever you are, in whatever situation you find yourself, you are capable of influence. And the question I have for myself and for you is, what kind of influence are you going to be? And how can you hone your influence gift, your leadership gift? And so I really want to challenge you. Please, 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 if you can, if you can possibly make it, book into this conference on the 13th and 14th here at St. Albans. We'll have our worship team. It is a video cast. It's great fun. We should have about 300 or so leaders here, and we hope that you will be coming as well. Now, the good news is that normally for a weekend, this costs something like 75 pounds, but we get a discount here at St. Albans, and you can get the whole weekend for 35 pounds. Uh, in fact, there's day tickets, and uh, let me see if I can find the note. The day tickets work out at 20 pounds a day. Now, the way to get those tickets is don't come running up to me afterwards. I haven't got a bunch of tickets in my back pocket. You have to go on our website, or you can go on the Willow Creek website, but go onto the website or look on the app under the What's On section, and there is a link through to the Willow Creek, um, the, the Willow Creek site, and you will get this discount. The only other thing to say is you will be asked to do a little survey afterwards. That You must do that. It's only very brief. It's really one of these kind of things where they find out whether you're a real human being and not a robot. And if you don't do that, they'll invalid, invalidate That's it. your ticket. So you do need to do that. One other last thing to say, and then we will get on with it. And that's that there are some free volunteer spaces left. We do need a few more volunteers for either Friday or Saturday or both. So if, you, you know, if you've got the time but you haven't got the money, you know, well then that's, that's fine. Uh, just ring up the office and say you'd, you'd like to volunteer for, the, uh, for the, the Global Leadership Summit team. And uh, the, the beauty of it is you do get to see some of the sessions, but you will be, you will be you know, serving coffee or whatever is needed. Just check that one out. But I cannot, I cannot recommend this anymore other than to say, uh, and Fliss I think will bear this out, it changed our life, and much of the stuff you see now, even to the point of getting a building in the first place, not that, but this, it came out of things we learned there, and you will be a better pastor, a better teacher, a better worker, a better college student, a better mother, a better father, you know, just simply by learning some basic teaching and leading principles, okay? Not enthusiastically. Is it hot in here or is it me? Can we look at the AC or something? I, I think Andy's on holiday today. Uh, Dan, could, uh, uh, Trevor or somebody who knows what it is, just have a look at that thing and see if we can't. Uh, gosh, it's, it's warm up here. It's warmer than I was in France, you know. Right, okay, let's pray. And I'm going to try and pick up on this Global Leadership Summit thing today a bit and give you a bit of a taste of it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for leadership. And thank you, Lord God, that it's, it's not a gift so much as a science. And, and Lord, we all exercise influence in some capacity or another. We just want to be better at it, be it better parents or better, better colleagues at work or bosses or pastors or teachers or leaders. So Lord God, we, help, we ask for your help now that you would indeed speak to us and you'd build us up. 
And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, I've got a question for you. I was talking to Dennis, and Dennis was telling me about a book he was reading. We were having a conversation about uh, this book and others' books. Uh, and, and suddenly a, a question formulated in my mind, and I sort of put it out there, and, and I asked Dennis it, and he said, that's good. And it's simply this. It's, who's mentoring you? Who's mentoring you? Now, uh, it won't surprise you to say, uh, if I say that, you know, I frequently get emails, and in fact, all the staff do, um, many leaders will, saying, you know, uh, is it possible for you to give me some time, Chris? I, I just feel the need for be, to be mentored. In fact, you may be one of those who's emailed me. And uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I mentor more than I can handle already. So I can't give people that one-on-one -on -one mentoring. But, you know, mentoring actually comes in many forms. Mentoring comes from the books you read, or the books you don't read and, and, and perhaps should read, or, or the, 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 the films you watch. Mentoring comes when you sit before someone or, uh, and let the book, the film, the conversation, the company even, influence you. And that's how, that's how great leaders and, and people who are getting better at leading, they, they increase their, the, the mentorship in their life. And it's not just the sort of two-dimensional one-on-one relationship with somebody who hopes has got a bit of wisdom. It's actually about what you choose and where you choose to position yourself so that you can take in information. You know, I can honestly say to you that the great theologian, N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright as he's often known, has been a great mentor in my life. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. I have never met the man, but I've read much of his stuff and I, and I love his commentaries, and he has been a profound mentor in my life. You know, when I, in my early days in ministry, I spent a lot of time reading about John Wesley and Charles Whitfield, great mentors in my life. I never met them. There are other people I have met and had the privilege of, of being mentored one-on-one. -on -one. But you don't just sort of sit there and say, oh, nobody wants to mentor me. Because actually, we can be mentored by an, a whole host of influences. And, and it's, so it's, if that's the case, we need to be intentional about it. Now, I'm going to show you just a seven-minute little video, which is taken from the, the uh, Global Leadership Summit. One of the great strengths, I think, of the, of the Global Leadership Summit is it doesn't just draw on Christian testimony. It doesn't just great, get great preachers and teachers. There are those. But it also draws on men and women who simply know their stuff and speak really good common sense. Now, there's a little video clip we're going to watch in just one moment. And I want you to watch it. I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, but I think it's fascinating. And we will make a couple of comments at the end of the talk about that. So thank you, thank you, Karen. I want to take you so, to some laboratory experiments so that we can develop a model, a way of thinking about influence. So at our labs, uh, a couple of years back, we brought a whole bunch of munchkins together, a bunch of kids, uh, sixth and seventh graders. We want them to be old enough to understand money and be motivated to some degree by it. So we brought a, a number of children into the lab and we gave them an opportunity to earn $40 by completing four simple tasks, $10 each, over a period of 10 minutes. So easy money, 
simple tasks, brief amount of time. And we hoped that they would save their money to go do something useful with it later. In order to help them save their money, we asked them to anchor their commitments to some goal. So listen in as they describe what they want to do with their money. Well, I was wanting to get a new video game, maybe a new pair of shoes. College money. Wait till Christmas comes, and then buy my sister a really cute outfit. <laughs> so they got a goal, right? They've all got something to anchor their, uh, their, their intentions. Now the question is, how did they do? Now remember, four easy tasks, 10 minutes, $40. The only temptation we offered them was the opportunity to buy things at what we called our Change Anything store. So we set up a little table, and we had goods priced at five to 10 times what these kids knew you would pay in the store. So not a temptation at all. You'll see, for example, a candy bar available for $10, right? or a tiny little hard candy for $2. So all these kids knew this was not a particularly good deal. How did they do in dealing with that modest temptation? Let's have a look. Bummer. Well, let's look at the statistics. Out of a potential $40 in savings, the average person took home $13. Now, not a good outcome. We, we were absolutely blown away. They, they spent like crazy. In fact, some of the kids went into debt <laughs> in a 10-minute period of time. Now, you and I can sympathize. So the question becomes, why? Why? Now, here's the problem. You and I, particularly with a religious perspective, so often believe that the reason people do what they do is because they lack commitment, they lack resolve. We describe these as personal motivation problems. This is a naive view of the, of the world. And in fact, what it causes us to do is when somebody fails, we deliver another sermon, which often isn't what's needed. So Jane makes a commitment to make, and, uh, make, to make and keep small commitments to improve her incomes and savings, and she fails. What do we do? Do we give her a motivational talk? Well, we do if we don't understand influence. So what I want to do is unpack that experience. I want to pull back the curtain and show you what we did to these kids, but first I want you to test whether they were aware of what we did. So we asked them to explain their failures. Listen to their explanations. There was like... A lot of good stuff to buy. I'm not sure if I can answer that question. <laughs> Neither am I. All right. So, so, so they're baffled. You know, why did I do this? I, I wanted to save, and I've got no money left. You know, what happened to me? Well, here's what happened. And this is where you need to start taking notes because there were intentional influence systems put in place. The same that Jane is subject to as she goes out to try to keep the commitments she made to increase her income and savings. First of all, as each of the kids came in, we gave them a taste of their favorite candy. We did what psychologists call putting them in a hot mode. We wanted them in a hot, impulsive mode. So we just gave them a little taste and here's a free sample of what you have available on the table. Second. We gave them no skills, so we put them into novel circumstances, and we didn't skill them up to deal with some of the novel challenges that they'd face. Third, 
We subjected them to social influence. So you'll notice how the model is organized. These are the repeatable, learnable, intentional sources of influence. They embody all of what the social sciences have been repeatedly demonstrating for the past 70 years about why you and I do what we do. A large reason is because we're socially motivated or socially enabled, in fact, to the degree that you and I are naive about how profound these sources of influence are. Let me show you how modest the intervention was from a social perspective. All we did was get accomplices, confederates, in at least the control condition, to come in and make a small statement, a small suggestive statement to the subject at the point that they were observing the store. You know, there's a lot of awesome candy over there. Mm. Much That's it. That's it. A guy in a red shirt saying, dude, right? That's all it takes. Source five, we tried to manipulate structural incentives as well. All we did here was say, just spend as much as you want. We'll deduct it from your earnings later. We gave him a credit account, gave him a credit card. Would that make a difference? Sixth, we surrounded the room with decorations. The decorations were pictures of children enjoying candy. Just gave them a few little cues. And what happens? $40 goes to 13 in 10 minutes. Now, this wouldn't be particularly compelling unless we had an experimental condition, right? So as good scientists in the room, what you ought to be asking is, all right, well, if you change those, would behavior change? Well, let's do it. So let's, on the first case, from a personal motivation perspective, let's not put them in a hot mode. No taste of the candy. We're going to remove that. Second. Well, just give them a 60-second little practice opportunity for how to keep track of your savings and spending so you can keep a mental tally. Third and fourth, we'll ask those accomplices, those confederates, to take a different role. We'll just give them a different phrase to use. I'm going to save my money. How about you? I think I'm going to save my money. I think it'd probably be a good idea. Again. Modest little invention, kid I've never met, babbling about saving his money. Would it have an influence on me? Source five, we're going to take them off the credit account and pay them in cash. That way, as they surrender the cash, they'll experience the loss. And six, we're going to take down the wallpaper. So what happens if all of those change? Let's have a look. Now, anecdotally, it looks like things were much different. Let's look at the data. So whereas the kids in the first con condition walked out with $13, those in the second condition walk out with 34. This is a modest difference. This is a 270% difference. You know, in, in, in academics, we, we can get a PhD for finding a 5 to 10% difference in behavior. This is huge shifts. So if we've got 800,000 Janes that we want to influence, how do we think about that problem? Here's the takeaway. Leadership is intentional influence. What we know is that if you amass a strategy that includes all six of those sources of influence, people change. That's how it works. I want to take you to some...
Who's influencing you? Who are your mentors? What pressures are we subject to, or is it just kids? These are good questions. I want to ask another question. We'll come back to that thought in just a moment or two. But can we learn from business, from captains of industry, from other people? Of course we can. In fact, Jesus did that, didn't he? Turn with me, if you've got your Bible, to Matthew chapter 8. And uh, it'll come up on the screen, or if you've got a smart device or something. And we're just going to look at Jesus drawing out lessons from a surprising source and, and, and expressing that to his disciples. I have found myself that the best leaders actually listen and ask more questions than talk. Uh, one of my great friends, Rick Williams, who uh, planted a church just about the same time as us, the thing I have always admired about Rick Williams, he's a very successful pastor, very successful teacher, is that he always asks great questions. And if you're ever in the company of somebody who's asking great questions, you can be sure you're asking, you're in the presence of somebody who's actually probably a great leader. They are excellent at asking questions. And we need to ask questions of the text, not just let it hit us in the face and hope that something sticks as it slides off us. We need to ask questions of the text. So let's look at this now, Matthew chapter eight. We're gonna go fairly rapidly through this. But uh, beginning at chapter five, at verse five, uh, the faith of the centurion is the heading in my Bible. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. What we need to really grasp and understand to, to, to really sort of capture the wonder of this passage is that this is a Roman centurion, a Roman centurion. So the Romans, as you know, were the occupying power. They had not been invited in, they had invaded. They were hated by the Jews, absolutely hated. In fact, in Jesus' company, his disciples, there was one called Simon the Zealot. It is commonly thought that he was a revolutionary. So when, if Jesus had said, man the barricades, let's charge the police station, he would be the man. They were hated. One of the last questions the disciples asked Jesus before he ascends into heaven is, Jesus, you've just risen from the dead. Are you now going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel? They wanted the Romans out. 
So of all the mentors that you might be looking for, the very last person they expected to learn anything from was a Roman centurion. But Jesus, the Son of God, says, I have not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. Let's whip through a few uh, pointers here before we wrap up, and you can take this home and hopefully ask questions of it and, uh, and feed on it. So the first thing that we note about this, unusually in this, this uh, centurion, there was a genuine concern. He said to him, my, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Now this servant, doesn't say that in the text, but is probably a slave. Someone he had either inherited, because you inherited slaves, they were passed on down the generations, or you bought them. So this, is a, this person in a, is a goods, is a chattel, is a possession. But here we have in this person, and remember the indifference that some of the fat scribes and Pharisees had for the people of the land, as they call them, or the Gentile dogs, as they call, call the non-Jews. Here we have a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus himself, doesn't send a messenger, and says, will you please heal my servant, because he's suffering terribly. The first thing we note then, there's a genuine concern. I bet that got Jesus' attention, because he would have understood the nuances of what he was dealing with. Secondly, what is remarkable here is a steadfast safe. Verse 8 Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. You know, Jesus is looking, and I've often said this, goal, the goal that Jesus looks for is faith. Jesus says in the scriptures, when I come back again, will I find faith on earth? Not will I find a lot of nice people, you know, going about their business, minding their own business, etc., etc., etc. He's looking for faith. And where does he find it? In exciting and and, and, and extraordinary places. I love some of the stories that, again, that, that uh, you know, we heard last week about these women of, uh, you know, who are in these extraordinary and terrifying situations, but they you know, read their Bible every day, and uh, there's faith there. Faith is often found in the most extraordinary places. Jesus finds this gold in a Roman centurion. Uh, steadfast faith. A cast iron call, I love this one, verse nine. Uh, this is where he says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus, you've just got to say the word, the Roman Turin says. But that's about knowing where we stand. You see, when we pray for the sick here, when, when the ministry team come down to pray for the sick, or here, or when I pray for some, I'm not saying, am I feeling holy enough today? Do I feel, uh, you know, am I, are my hands burning and do I, have I got the healing gift today? You know, am I in a good place today? Do I think God loves me today? Those are not the questions that we should be asking when we come to pray for the sick. Praying for the sick is all about knowing where we stand as sons and daughters of a God who loves us and a God who reaches out to heal and empower us. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about knowing where you stand. And this Roman steward, he knew where he stood in, in the scheme of things. I know, praise God, where I stand in the scheme of things. I am the son of the Most High, and I'm looking at loads of sons and daughters of the Most High. 
Amen. Amen. I'm going to get my hanky out in a minute and sort of do a glory thing. (laughs) Some of my brothers and sisters understand that. Right, okay. A cast iron call, knowing where we stand. That's the secret to power ministry, to praying for the sick, trusting in the God who loves and saves us. The next thing, and, and this is really for those of you who have any leadership, in fact, uh, uh, parents, you know, a clear command, you know, again, the, the centurion says, you know, I say go and he goes, come and he comes. You know, unfortunately, there's too much wiffle waffling, procrastination amongst leaders. You, you need a clear vision and a clear command. You know, uh, truthfully, you know, we've got four kids, we've got five grandchildren, we, you know, we still interact with parents, and one of the things we see from time to time is indecision amongst parents. No wonder little Tommy or Jerry or Amelia plays up so much, because they'll say, now don't you go, you, no, you are not going to the park. No, come back, we're, we're going straight home, you're not, all right, well, just for five minutes then. <laughs> uh, duh. If your yes doesn't mean yes, if it means maybe, well then there's always gonna be problems. There's always gonna be problems. We need clarity in in leadership. We need clarity in parenting. And as you are clear, and as you do articulate clarity, so children in particular start to feel safer. They know where they stand. They're not having to make it up as they go along. Next one, an eternal perspective. Oh, sorry, a great delight. This is Jesus, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You know, we, we celebrate the success of others. Jesus is not saying to that centurion, which you could have expected, really, given that he was a Jew and the pressures and the cultural pressures. He didn't say, he didn't say yeah, too true, yeah, good, well said. So begrudgingly nodding. Yeah, good job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like that though. You know, I think it's sort of, it's a yes but. What Jesus does is he celebrates what he finds. We need to celebrate other successes and others' examples of faith and, you know, encourage one another. We need to build one another up. That's what Jesus does here. He celebrates faith where he finds it, and today he's found it in a Roman centurion. Can we learn from business? Can we le- uh, yes, if we're asking the right questions, if we see it and, and, and acknowledge it when we, when we uh, come across it. The next thing, and I, I, I often say this, and I, I believe it's very important, in verse 11 and the next two things, Jesus goes, he, he references that which is to come. You know, many will come from the east and west, etc., etc., etc. What Jesus is demonstrating there, and as Christians, this is crucial, because if we haven't got this, I don't think we've got very much at all. He has an eternal perspective. You're going through a tough time. Tough times never last, but tough people do. And God makes us tough. He gives us that eternal perspective that we're only here for a season. And the real life is to come. And when we're reaching out to people, expressing the love of God to them and teaching them and speaking about Jesus' forgiveness, we're doing so mindful of the fact that we could change somebody's personal eternity. This is a job worth doing. 
It's a, worth, it's a job worth getting better at. And as leaders, you know, I don't believe for a minute that I was born a leader. I believe that God, you know, God set that to one side for me, but, but I've had to work hard to be a leader. I want to be a lifelong learner. You know, that, that's, the, that's the skill we need to develop. And we can learn from anyone and everybody. I loved again, I'm sorry I keep embarrassing you, Ruth. When Ruth was speaking last week, you know, she's clearly learning from these women who their pimps call scum. There are things to be learned. You can learn, if you've got a, a, a teachable and humble heart, great leaders learn from anyone. Anyone. So anyway, an eternal perspective. 10, we're nearly there, nearly bringing this to a land. An unshakable belief, verse 13. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. How do you get an unshakable belief? Well, some things I'm unshakable on and other things I'm a bit shaky on. And it does, an unshakable belief, you know, because of, because of what I've seen God do and what I've seen God do through me, there are certain things I have confidence, I have an unshakable belief that God will use me in that particular area. And other things, other things I'm growing in. How do you, how do you learn? I once went up to John Wimber, the founder of our music movement, the very first time I ever met him, and I had the great fortune of being mentored by him one-on-one. -on -one. But the very first thing I ever said to him, I queued up for about 10 minutes, longer in fact, 25 minutes, I want to ask him about the healing ministry. Because I was a young evangelist, I was preaching the gospel, the word of God says if you preach the gospel you can expect signs and wonders to follow, and I wasn't seeing too much of that. So I had this great question, I went up to him, stood in line, finally I get to him, expecting to have a lovely sort of dynamic conversation with him. And uh, I said, John, uh, great, thank you for the talk. I got just this question, you know, I'm a bit of an evangelist, you know, leading people to Christ, but I'm not seeing any healings. You know, what's, what, what can I, you know, what can I do? And he said, go away, come back and talk to me when you've prayed for 2,000 people. <laughs> I hadn't queued up for 25 minutes just so I'd be sent away again. But there was wisdom there. I, had, I hadn't prayed enough for, for enough people to know what I'm talking about. But when you've prayed for a couple of thousand people, you begin to recognize some things. Some patterns begin to emerge. And suddenly you've got good questions to ask, as well as a bit of success under your belt. You know, unfortunately, we pray for three people down the front there, and it doesn't go too well. We burst into tears and say, I'm never going to be on that team again. <laughs> you know, we've got we, we to have to show a little more perseverance. An unshakable belief is something that grows. It's not that something that goes whoosh. It's something that grows. It's as you step out in faith. Remember how faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. As we begin to step out in faith, as we're fond of saying here at Vineyard, we say, God's faithfulness in the past gives us faith for the future. Okay, my question then. I wanted to teach this because I want to whet your appetite to try and hone your leadership, your influence gift, and sign up either as a volunteer or as a delegate for this conference. It'll change your life. And if we all get better at leading, well then we'll have a lot more to give out to the community. We've got great leaders here. We need more. God has promised that this place is going to be bursting at the seams. We're going to need more people to lead. And we need good leaders, not naff ones. Everybody nod. Okay, so let's get better at it. Let's just 
get, on, get, get with the program. We are coming of age, remember? Coming of age. But the question I want to ask then is this. We enjoyed that little video thing. And what really struck me, the question I asked about what that is, what does that say about the mentors or the influences in my life? Am I spending a little bit too much time watching television? What's the kind of life-work balance in my life? Am I just coming to church on a Sunday? I don't volunteer, I don't serve, I just come and I listen to the sermon, I like the worship, and then I go home and I've done religion for the week. You know, you're just not gonna be able to survive as a Christian. You will not thrive, you may survive by the grace of God, but you will not thrive. Did you see all those little subliminal influences? You are under assault. The moment you step outside this door in that big wide world out there, you are under assault, and God is good for it, but if you're not orientated that way, then you will be buffeted and bashed and set back and miserable and lonely and conflicted and confused just as the enemy has his way. 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, make no mistake, bad company corrupts good character. What company are you keeping? What mentors, what, what are you reading? What are you looking at? What are you giving your, t- your time to? May I strongly and humbly suggest as we begin this new church year, as we're coming of age, that we start getting serious and try and take it up a notch wherever we are. You may have a lot of great influences, find another. You get involved in a connect group, start serving, you know. Do the Alpha course, come to equip, you know, do more than just a Sunday morning, or if you do a Sunday morning and a midweek thing, we'll then look for other influences. Because we need to thrive, not just survive. I want to walk into, into glory on that day, and I'll finish with this. You know, I've said it before, uh, sweating, bruised, uh, a, a little bit, you know, a little bit sort of out of breath and all the rest of it. I want to arrive having exerted myself. I don't want to sort of drift into the, through the gates of glory going, oh, oh, well, that was a bit of a trip, wasn't it? <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on, guys. It's time to come of age, time to get serious, and as we get serious, we find there is great joy in serving. Bless you. Let's stand and pray. And sign up. Heavenly Father, we can I have the band come back up? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm not going to have the band up. I'm very late. And I, uh, I'm just going to pray. Can you just pass me the... Um... Thank you. Thanks. Sorry, sound team. Let's pray. Father God, we want to say thank you to you that your Holy Spirit is abroad in the world today, that your Holy Spirit has the victory, that there is nothing and nowhere that we can go where we do not know your presence. Ruth taught us about that last week. We thank you, Lord God, that you have a training plan, not just a teaching plan, a training plan, not just in here but out there too. 
And we pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes so that we might ask good questions and find faith in exciting, unexpected places. That we may thrive and not just survive. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, just before I say the final blessing, if you would like prayer for anything, maybe there's something you want to get prayer for arising out of the, the message or some other thing that's happened this morning, just go to my right, your left. But our prayer team before the service felt that there may be a woman suffering from dizziness. There may be someone whose hearing is going in the left ear especially, uh, but uh, they are in denial. There's a lady having uh, trouble swallowing. Uh, she's got a lump in her throat. There's a man with a problem with a heart valve. Someone with shooting pain in the left eye. A child who keeps getting their ear infections in the right ear. A lady feeling uh, very frail and uh, weak, uh, just totally exhausted. A man suffering from extreme anxiety, work-related. And a man with a fungal infection, right foot and big toe. If any of those seem to relate to you, please go to my right, your left, and we'll get one of these God-believing people to pray for you. It's amazing what God can do. Now the blessing. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us his peace. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. Tell your friends about Jesus. Thank you.